0: Dr. Pamela, and today we are looking at the dynamics of the family. So much to talk about. Um, Today, I'll be joined by two, uh, four guests total. Um, This first hour, we'll be joined by Sean Simmons and Dimitos Chambers. If we're going to be talking marriage, adoption, incarceration. Uh, all of the things that somehow have an impact on the Black family. So we're gonna look at all of those things while we continue to face grief as a society. We must also take heed to the growth and positive impacts that come with the process of change. Change is not always easy. Change is not always fun and change does not happen overnight. So, with that in mind, we are going to be talking about the impact of all that's happening in our society on the Black family. And I have two phenomenal uh, Black men who are joining us this hour, and two more phenomenal Black men who are joining us um, during the second hour so that we can really dig deep into this conversation. So, we are going to be looking at how the Black family is being impacted by current events, including some. Uh, really interesting and disturbing things that have been said by um, some recent uh, politicians and um, looking at creating positive trends in the Black family. Um, and as well as the black family's experience with adoption whether they are being adopted into a family or um, being um, brought in so it'll be a really interesting our um, our guests have some great perspective um you know, domicus is going to really uh, drill in on um, marriage and sean is going to talk about his two books on um, children's books on um, family, So I'm really looking forward to this show. And then at the second half, we're going to have um, a conversation with a couple who has adopted. So stay tuned. I want you to get involved in this conversation. Join us on Facebook Live, add your comments, tell your stories, ask your questions. We are here to respond in real time to everything you have to say. So get ready for a great show and incredible dialogue today on the Live Exchange. Welcome back to the live exchange I'm Dr. Pamela. And today we are looking at the resilience of the Black family and just really considering all that we've had to overcome um, just as individuals, um, let alone considering what it means to hold together a family um, through all of that. So, um, you know, from slavery to Jim Crow to the civil rights movement to today. Um, The institutional racism has not gone away. It is still here. um, And it has always threatened the sanctity um, and the unity of the Black family. um, And yet um, we continue to overcome. So I want to have this conversation um, with a couple of uh, gentlemen who are going to help me and chime in um, on their perspectives. Um, First, let me bring on um, our first guest, Sean R. Simmons. Um, now, Sean Simmons is a children's book author, uh, mental health counselor, originally from uh, Charleston, South Carolina. He's currently living in Atlanta, Georgia. He has a bachelor's degree in communications from Savannah State University. He has a master's degree in higher education from Mercer, and he's currently pursuing a master's of arts degree in mental health counseling through Wake Forest University's online program. His two books are Together We Make a Family and The Day My Dad Turned Invisible. I love it. All right. So, Sean, welcome. Welcome.
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: I'm great. How are you? I'm
1: doing good. Good to see you.
0: All right, and I, I, in your bio failed to mention that you are a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity, Incorporated, That's true. <laughs> I love it. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and I, think, um, if, if, I, I would just love to hear just a little bit about your um, children's books and what compelled you, you know, to write these two stories. The first one, <clears throat> the We Make a Family, and the second one, The Day My Dad Turned Invisible.
1: Right. Yes, yeah, so I always always enjoyed writing, even when I was you know real young. I started out writing comic books when nice. I was like probably like seven or eight.
0: Ah, I love it. So
1: I would like make my own characters, make my right. own stories, draw pictures, and then once I got older, I kind of put it to the side. Cause, you know, when you become a teenager, you get your interests kind of sways to right. different things. With so a big girl I love it. Right. So. Once I graduated uh, from college, I started to write again just to... I actually did it to relieve stress. Okay. So that's one of my ways I kind of relieve my anxiety and my stress and stuff like that. So I started writing. Um, I would at first make up stories, but then I started to write stories that were based on my life. So I have a lot of stories, but the only ones I've put out so far are the ones that are based off experience that I've been through. Okay and I at first I never really thought about actually making making them into books but um I kind of got inspired to by well I actually have a frat brother who has a book out as well and he actually put his book out and I had no idea he was um doing a children's book and that kind of motivated me to go ahead and put mine out.
0: I love it I love it that's great um and and speaking of comic books I just I picked up um John Lewis's um, free book series, um, comic books. Um, and, and so I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that, but it's, it's pretty um, awesome that, you know, he, he also was into comic books among many other things. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and bring on our second guest and so uh, we can get this conversation going. Um, but I'm definitely going to want to hear a little bit more about, um, the two books that you put out. Um, but okay. next let's, let's, let me bring out, um, Demikus chambers. Um, so just let, let me, uh, I I had it. There it is. Uh, So D'Amicos is a philanthropist, a a cloud entrepreneur, a fear coach, and he helps black men make the first step into business and to become the man that they've dreamed of. Welcome, D'Amicos. Yes. Yes. Hello. Welcome. And I apologize for your name being misspelled. Um, they, we, you know, we'll, oh, no.
2: <laughs> it's tradition now, you know, it's tradition. Yeah, yeah, but, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> I, give, I actually give tokens to those who can pronounce it right now. It's gotten so bad. So far uh-huh. I've been out three in my lifetime.
0: Oh, did I get a? Did I get a token? What, how pronounce your name? Please.
2: It's, it's D'Amico's.
0: D'Amico's. Yes. Okay. Yep. So I think I said two different versions of your name so far.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I used to, I used to have this, I used to be, you know, nonchalant about it until I got older and was like, well, if these white people can learn how to say these Russian people's names, oh, I yeah. think they're unique. They can learn to say my name as well. I agree
0: 100%. <laughs> D'Amico's, right?
2: <laughs> yes, ma'am. All
0: right. Well, so curious to know how you got into coaching um, the fear, you know, around this, this area of fear in black men.
2: Right. So, uh, so it happened on one day when uh, I was I wanted to get into life coaching. Of course, I was watching a lot of Tony Robbins, Les Brown, Brown, etc. And um, I just I thought I, I saw that I had really good social skills. I saw that I, I enjoyed creativity, and I saw that I had some business acumen. So I wanted to come find a career that's lucrative. Well, I looked up becoming yeah. a psychologist, but I was like, dang, they don't make no money. you talking about $58,000 a year, four years <laughs> education. I was like, oh, man, no. Nah, Not quite like
0: I, engineering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So
2: I was like, okay, I need to find a way to make money, but still be able to help people um, in the a, in a social ways that, you know, that I, I best can while developing those skills. So I pursued coaching uh, during um, when I was in the uh, coaching training. I uh, found out that I was the only one in the room who's not of the uh, higher tier education level. <laughs> uh, not only was I the only one in the room that, that didn't have a master's or a, a bachelor's of sort. I was the only male in the room and the only black male in the room out of about uh, 42 women. So um, it just showed me it was a need. Then I had to, I, once I got into coaching, I learned that if I really wanted to become successful in it and really impact lives, I wanted to take on the biggest challenge that I felt that the face of the world had. Um which was fear. Um, so I was like, you know, everybody has an issue with fear. And I, I feel that fear is a, uh, a critical analyst point, um, uh, according to Dawkins, um, that a critical, sorry, uh, critical access point. But um, yeah, I was yeah. like, you know, I want to do something that affects everybody that can cause immediate change, drastically change a lot. And that's tough. That's something that no one really understands and tackles. And so I didn't understand how much no one really understands it until I mm. started studying it. Um, yeah. even all the stu- the reports that would come out about it, the books that would come out about it. You know, it was very. A lot of the research was still was still, uh, still based. A lot of the results were still uh, kind of like just in development. They were still pending. There was no right. finite uh, result or analyst of how field works, and et cetera even you know, when they so, talked about that Mickey five, so I'm sorry go ahead
0: Right? no 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 it's good wait so we're going to go to a break really quickly and then oh, um, all right, all right. <laughs> when we come back um, we're, we're going to go into trending topic and I'd love to a couple of those um, we we'll right back. okay so trending um, so this past Friday um, August 28th 2020 as if 2020 didn't already have enough blows for us um, we experienced the tragic loss of actor Chadwick Boseman, and um, you know Chadwick Boseman. I mean, I'm, and I get, <laughs> I get emotional just looking, you know, just just thinking about it. Um, I remember. The 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 um you know just how exciting it was to to see him uh, premiere in Black Panther, but then all of the films that he's done since then. He had his cancer diagnosis in 2016, and in that year alone, released three films: the, the uh, Captain America. Gods of Egypt, Message from the King, and then 2017, he released two films. 2018, two films. 2019, two films. 2021, and there's still more coming. There are a few more films that have yet to be released. Um, he recently um, uh, married, so his wife was by his side, um, and it, it's just, it's just a huge blow. Um, and um, so, you know, I have to, we have to acknowledge the. Um, you know, the talent and, and the contributions of Chadwick Boseman to uh, film industry and, and really to Black culture. Um, would love to hear um, from Demikos and Sean um, <clears throat> regards to your kind of thoughts and your reaction when this first, you know, kind of hit the news. I'll go ahead and let Sean go first.
1: Right, when I heard it, I, I thought it was a joke and it got to the point where I was hoping that it was a joke. Um, then I read uh, how he passed was through colon cancer. That kind of hit me a little bit harder because I lost my grandfather from prostate cancer. Yeah. So, and that just made me think about my own health because uh, he was still young. Right. Uh, forty three. That's young. Um, I'm thirty
0: three. I'm forty three. That hit me like what? Right. Yeah.
1: So you know, it just it just made me think about my own health and oh man, like I need to start going to the doctor more because you know, you never know. Uh, They said that, you know, he caught it at stage three, so he might have had it prior to that and not know. Yeah. So that kind of just opened my eyes to that, even though I already knew that in the back of my mind, but it's like when it happens to somebody like that, who you look up to, like, it it, it hit me kind of hard. So, like, I compare his depth to to celebrity-wise. I compare his depth to Kobe's depth, because even though Kobe was, like, a tragic accident, um still there's somebody who you who you look up to you He's know they say right yeah he, he was a superhero kobe was a superhero in a different type of way so yeah
0: yeah, yeah we, we took kobe pretty hard too um that was that was a tough one as well so this year is just way 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 too much um right. so domikos uh, um you know what are your thoughts i know that there's been some dialogue on your page about about this um, <laughs> um especially about what happens next you know <laughs> Oh, you're muted. My page oh, and
2: inform- oh, we're here. oh, oh no, we hear you. All man. right, uh, yeah, okay. No, I just said you know I like to keep things informative and exciting on my page. Yes, you uh, do. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, when it when it came to Chadwick, you know, uh, honestly, it was one of those things that happened where I was I've, I've grown so accustomed to the death mm-hmm. that a lot of it, you know, it hasn't shocked me anymore. You know, right. uh, what it's really doing is causing me to just be more appreciative. Of, of the time that we do have and uh, work harder um, at the things that I'm doing currently. Because this is a man who had colon, pa- colon cancer for the last four years, produced several films, uh, did a, a, a ton of uh, philanthropy, a ton of volunteerism, a ton of uh, speak, public speaking, donating, etc. And so I was like, you know, if he can do all that over four years with colon cancer, you know, uh, I can go outside and, you know, just, Contribute more to the world um, in ways that are just, uh, aside from the ways that just more comfortable and convenient uh, for me, especially during this COVID. So, you know, it right. was more inspiring, and I felt like his James Brown film was definitely underrated. Um, that's a historic film, and I think that film is even better I than Black Panther because uh, yeah, I think it is a Black Panther film because it's it's actually a true story. Um, mm. um, but uh, that, I think that that's a great film. But anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, when Chad when Chad would pass, passed, you know, it was. It was just like, you know, you're a young black man. You got to watch out for your health. I was like, oh, man, I got to go start getting my
0: prostate exam.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, that, yeah but, uh, colon, I didn't know it was colon, but, you know.
0: Yeah, but that colon cancer will be com- is, is very undetectable in the first two stages. So it's not mm. uncommon that it wasn't discovered until the third stage, which is, right. you know, that's that's alarming.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. true, true. Yeah. They, they said so. if you detect it earlier, you have like a 90- Percent rate of beating it. And like they say, you have a high percentage of beating when you detect it, but.
0: Right. I mean, and you don't even. So here's the thing with colon cancer, they don't really even pay medically or for insurance for you to get colon cancer screenings until you're 50. Wow, I didn't know that. You know, and so what does that say about, you know, what it means to take care of ourselves when we're thinking the experts know we're not, we don't need to worry about that till 50. And yet, you know, Chadwick was in his thirties when when he was first diagnosed. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So, we have a comment from Jeremy Grissom saying his death is a reminder of how fragile life is. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. Don't take it for granted. with that said, um, Sean, I know that your second book, The Day That My Father, My Dad Disappeared, was It My Father Disappeared? I'm sorry. Um, the, the
1: Day My Dad Turned Invisible.
0: The Day My Dad Turned Invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, he, tell, tell us about that. Um, you know, what? you don't have to give it all away, but, you know, mm-hmm. the gist of that story.
1: Yeah, um, so that, that's my second children's book I put out. Uh, like I said before, all my, all my stories are based off of things I've been through. I just write them in children's form. Mm-hmm. you know so they can have an understanding of it but that that's actually a true story the first book was inspired by a true story uh that book was actually a true story um uh based on when i was seven, year old, seven years old i found out my dad had passed away um so the story just kind of follows me throughout the day when i found out my dad died and how my family had to tell me and how i really didn't understand because i was only seven years old
0: mm-hmm. uh he
1: passed in a car accident Oh, wow. so I remember just getting off the bus and all my family just looking sad and I didn't know what was going on and some, and my, I think my mom or grandma said your dad passed away and I'm seven years old I don't know what that means wow. I just see everybody crying so I think I'm supposed to be sad and cry too mm-hmm. until I later on find out what it really means
0: wow yeah that's that, and that's a story that, that really needs to be told as, as children are, are dealing with tragedy all the time you know mm-hmm. so, um, so I, I really appreciate you writing that um when we come back um we're we're going to go ahead and, and get into a little bit more discussion um you know about the family and I actually want to show you all a clip um that we're going to discuss uh about adoption so stay with us we'll be back all right. all right um so every time I see that it's just this is really disturbing so this was Abby Johnson she's a former planned parenthood worker turned anti-abortion activist um and she posted this video in June claiming that it would be smart for police officers to racially profile her adopted Black son um, and justify her beliefs, as you heard, with statistic um, incarceration statistics. Now, I'm curious, um, I I actually wanna hear from both of you on this. um, uh, From Damikas, I'm really interested in in hearing your take on um, this idea that it is smart for police officers to racially profile her son. it, it seems go, go ahead. I'll let you go. <laughs> oh, you're yeah, There you go. You were muted for a second there. So I don't think we can hear you. Okay. Let's, let's, let's jump to Sean. And then um, we'll come back to D'Amico's um, uh, Sean. And, and Sean, what I, what I wanted to ask you about was this idea of um, adoption and when mm-hmm. a child is adopted by a parent of a different race and they profile that child or they don't really seem to have um, an understanding of that child's experience I mean what are your thoughts about that and, and what kind of you know challenges can that present
1: I mean it's definitely a, a real situation um you do see adoption is becoming more and more common right now, and even adoption the adopting of different race babies is becoming more and more common so I feel like while I'm not against it, I do I do think about you know that child maybe a, a white child being adopted by a black family or vice versa because actually that's my my first book is about adoption a young black girl being adopted by two white parents and of course at times there there are going to be some things that those those parents might not be able to educate that black child on that they might not have experienced just because. They've never been black. Um, and that that kind of makes me think about the show. This is us. I don't know if you've seen that. Yes. They, they adopted the one black son and I, that one episode when they were at the pool and she didn't understand that black skin is different from white skin. So she didn't know yeah. he might need a different type of lotion or sunscreen. Mm-hmm. So just like little things like that that can have an effect on you as you get older that you're not aware of and familiar with.
0: So if you say little things like that have an effect on somebody, imagine the grad, the the grant, you know, the the largeness. (laughs) I can't even Mm -hmm. think of the word right now of the impact on this child of this mother who said this, um, are we able to hear you now? Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. We can hear you. Beautiful. All
2: right. (laughs) No, what I was saying is why are we giving these white women the attention that they want? Um, when you had, when the thing about what she said is it's so tragic and she's inaccurate. Uh mm-hmm. just because black folks are locked up uh for crimes at a, a higher rate than whites are doesn't mean we commit the most crimes. There's yeah. evidence that shows there's prejudice because we're more likely to actually be uh go to jail and get arrested and get convicted of a crime versus the white mm-hmm. people are. Uh yeah. so no, that's that's not that's not that's not likely at all that your brown skinned son is gonna commit the crime more than <laughs> He's more dangerous than your white child. Your white child is probably more dangerous. He's likely gonna be the one that's gonna burn down the whole community. All right. Uh, so you know, I I don't like that at all. But again, we, we keep giving these these women uh these the attention they want is, is trash. Uh, I I do want black people to uh to start to get on the uh to start to stop stop looking for acceptance, white acceptance, and trying to prove these people wrong and just live your life and, and grow your wealth and right. uh, and fight back whenever you feel you have to defend yourself. You know, right. that, these people are entrenched in their beliefs. They're gonna believe what they wanna believe. You know, um, the only thing that can change their mind in this is experiences in life. You know, you gotta let life do its, its job and its work and combat their hate and ignorance with wealth building. That's the only way to overcome all of this. They, white people respect two things in America. Wealth and, and The potential of violence. Those are the two things. So as long as you get your guns to protect yourself and you stack your bread, get your bag. Hey, man, life will do its job.
0: So, so the the and what I really am, am most concerned about in this case, because I agree with you one hundred percent about you know we giving attention to people who are wrong. You know, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. But my concern is this son. And and my thought is, you know, whether or not I mean, to me, social services should have been immediately sent to that house um, to get that son. And so the bigger question is about this 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 question of um, adoption and placement and, and really whether or not. Children, um, you know, this needs to be considered when when children are being adopted, Black children particularly are being adopted into other races and other families. I think Sean raises some really good points that there are some everyday things that, you know, of course, we wouldn't, you know, other people wouldn't understand unless they've been there. Um, but now we have, you know, um, when I see things like that, it, it, it causes grave concern in me. Not so much about the outlandish things she said. I, I really could care less about that, but more so about the well-being of this child who is living in her home. You know, what do we as a community do to protect our children? Welcome to
2: being Black, a Black boy. You know, he, he's going <laughs> to have to learn that lesson now or later. You know, we that's the unfortunate part. And sometimes fortunate because it, oh, can you hear me?
0: Uh, yes, 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 yes.
2: Oh, my bad. All right, <laughs> yes. I mean, that's the unfortunate and unfortunate part because it does build a lot of character uh, and, and Black kids a lot earlier than white kids. Mm. Uh, but, you know, the whole social, our social care system itself is just poorly constructed. You know, the social workers themselves are underpaid. You know, the uh, the, the foster homes are underfunded. I mean, the, the, you know, this is all systematic. You know, this yeah. it's not necessarily the, uh, at the, uh, hands of the individual black uh paying tax citizen to solve this you know this is systematic we uh we got to get out there and run for office and we got to elect people persons uh to get in office and do the things that we need to uh could reconstruct our social systems in ways that's going to benefit the children uh right. but yeah this his, his brown son <laughs> welcome to this life as a black man mm-hmm. you know i want to yeah.
1: add um i I agree with, with a lot of what he's saying. Um, I was watching an interview a couple of days ago and somebody said, the system isn't broken, it's working how they meant for it to work.
0: Absolutely. And
1: that makes a lot of sense because when people say the system is broken, it's not really broken. It was never written for us to begin with because when it was written, we were being you know, segregated or enslaved during those right. times, anyway. Yeah. It so works. when yeah. it was written, it hadn't, it hasn't been updated, it hasn't been changed. It was written back then for them, not for us. Mm-hmm. So I I read, I read stories all the time. I read one recently about a judge who uh trialed two young adults, one black male, one white male, same age, both had no priors, but the black male got years in prison, and the white male got like one or two. So it was mm. like stuff like that that's just crazy
0: this is what's skewing these incarceration rates because it's right. it's really it's, absolutely it's the um, you know, the system is doing this and, and we, we've got to. And I agree wholeheartedly, D'Amico, that we we have got to infiltrate the, the political system. That's the only way things are going to change is if we have a seat at the table and if we are leading the table, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, so with that said, uh, we're going to go into a little bit of research we're not going into a little real reason <laughs> so but what I want, <laughs> but I'm gonna transition a little bit into um, this idea of black marriage so there's a lot of opinions flying around about black marriage you know you know black people you know they don't stay together. I, one of the most disturbing things that I see a lot on social media are black women who have this this um, platform uh, that are anti-black male and black men, who have a platform that are anti-black women. And it just, and I know this is not the majority. I know this is not, this is kind of like what Demikos was saying, why are we giving those voices attention? Um, but what it does is it creates, it's contagious and it makes people think, oh, huh, maybe, maybe they have a point, maybe they have a point. And I'm seeing this thing pick up um, with these opposing sides. And I don't think by any means that it is the majority or it's you know, um, that pervasive, but I do think it's dangerous. Um, and and it's very dangerous, in my opinion, to Black marriage and Black relationships. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know um, what you all have seen, particularly you, D'Amico, as you guys, you're, you're, when I say you guys, on your page, there's a lot of discussion around Black marriage. There's a lot of emphasis on Black men getting ready, preparing themselves for life, for their purpose. And marriage being one of those. Um, what are your thoughts about this whole um, divisiveness and and what we need to do to stay focused on staying together?
2: Yeah. So, you know, one of the, the one of the big things I try to do advocate for is for black men to get married, um, simply uh, because black men uh, mostly don't know how to have sexual relationships with women without producing kids. So. Uh, Kids who grow up in married, I'm just saying, kids who grow up in married households do way better than kids who grow up in single parent households. If black men weren't procreating with black women, I wouldn't have no qualms about. It. I'd say live your best life, you know. But uh, you know, kids, the kids do worse in single parent homes than they do on average in, in single than married households. Also, black men, we do better when we're. Under the uh, the uh, social uh, partnership construction of marriage, we become better. We become better health. You know, I, well, everything in life drastically improves.
0: Yeah, I uh, know. The wealth, that, wealth a lot yeah. to with yeah. marriage.
2: You yeah. know, so, and the thing is, it's like I see it on both sides. I see black women who have a disdain for black men because they have they worship white men. I, and I have seen black men who have a disdain for, for black women because they want to be baddies. Well, you know, so the black me, men themselves me want to be baddies.
0: Let me just cut in, the, the women that I see that are hating on black men, they don't like men. They don't like white men either. They just don't like men. So I, <laughs> yeah, so <I'm> a, <laughs> I know, that's that's. And they don't like women. The, so it's not even that they are lesbian, they just don't like people. You know, something no, <laughs> That, that's true. Uh, true. I'll have to cut into the break? Yeah, we're going to go to the break. We'll be right back. Sam, 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 Sam. All right. So the silence today. Um, so there is there is a combination here of statistics and a little bit of uh, context in terms of why these statistics will be what they are. So um, first, we have um, the this this idea um, of just looking at incarceration. Um, Black people make up 13% of the U.S. population but 33% of the prison and jail population. While Latinos make up 18% of the U.S. population and 23% of the prison population. Um, This kind of just goes back a little bit to what we were talking about, about the inflation of incarceration um, for Black people. In 1990, 43% of Black men had never, this is about marriage, have never been married. And in 2019, it was 51%. During that period, the percent of Black women who were unmarried increased from 37% to 47%. Um, another statistic that is important to point out by the CDC is, um, you know, while these are the statistics about marriage, when we look at fatherhood, um, the CDC found that Black fathers are actually the most involved with their children of all other races, um, which is, is um i think a very important to highlight um it because it then you know it causes me to ask the question so what is going on with the other elements of life you know with marriage um with this whole idea of incarceration well when i look at this research on trauma there was a a compilation of research studies that were done as it pertains to trauma in um in in different cultures so it looked at uh, trauma for people who are living um, in Ukraine, some you know war-torn areas. Um, for those Holocaust survivors, for Native American and Canadian uh, Native populations, for African Americans, and in the common thread was that there is uh, there are higher rates of depression and depressive episodes, um, of suicide rates and so forth. But what was unique for African Americans um, that I thought was really interesting is that. We had reported high rates of perceived discrimination and higher rates of uncontrollable hyper arousal, feelings of alienation, worries about future negative events um, and perceiving others as dangerous. So it's interesting because depressive, suicidal um, type um, responses were not as uh, we're not included to the degree that it was included for these other um, cultures, but it was more of a, 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 a cultural fear of being a part of this culture that rejects you. Um, And so I found that really interesting um, because for us, for the trauma, for us, there's not a lot of, there's no, there's not a post that's happening here. Many of us are still living in that trauma. So there's not post-traumatic. It's, continuous traumatic. So I wanted to just um, ask uh, you know just kind of engage you all um, in a conversation about that. Um, you know and, and I'm going to reach out to Sean for this one as you when you are you know you're pursuing you're, you're a um, counselor and you're pursuing a degree in it as well um, you know what are your what do you see in your perceptions of how African Americans are responding to the traumas that we are experiencing?
1: I think, you know, 2020 is like a prime example of how a lot of people of color are feeling just from all these protesting that have popped off during the pandemic. Right. Um, I myself, just from taking these classes that I'm taking, I've learned a lot about myself and my own trauma because I've been able to look and kind of relate it to the material I've been, I've been reading. And, you know, I have I have anxiety. I have anxiety real bad and it gets to the point where deep where we have these police shootings these unarmed black men i don't even watch the videos anymore
0: yeah i stopped (laughs) because
1: when i watch them it like ruins my whole day sometimes two or three days and it's like it kind of puts me on edge and like every time i get in a car i'm like okay let me drive the speed limit let me put my blinker on i don't want to give the police no reason to pull me over and it's like other races are people who are not of color may not have to even worry or think about little things like that. And it may seem small, but to have to worry every day while you're driving somewhere, or every time you see a police car pull up behind you, you your, your heart rate goes up, you start sweating, mm-hmm. and you may not have done anything wrong. But as we've seen, it doesn't matter all the time whether or not you've done something wrong or not. So I feel like a lot of the stuff that's portrayed in the media that we watch. It kind of that's that's traumatic. It's, it's going to cause trauma. You know, watching George Floyd, um, or how he how he was killed and uh, all these police shootings every other week. It's, it's a buildup. It's going to cause trauma, traumatic stress, whether you feel it or not. You might feel it whether you can't sleep at night and don't know why. You know, it's, it's little things like that that's going to affect your your mental health as the days go.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it's just the, the offense is just living, you know, just doing everyday things. And I think that this yeah. is probably why the trauma in these studies look different for African-Americans than it does for other cultures, mm-hmm. because it is it is just kind of a, a, an attack on our everyday living. Okay. Um, so, Domikos, when you work with this whole concept of fear, um, how does fear play into this and in, in, into our trauma? you're
2: oh, all down to it. Oh,
0: You're good. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> all right, it's all good. Um, the producer set me up. No, all right. So when it comes to so when it comes to fear, it all boils down to uh, most people have a fear of, of uh, lack of significance or feeling um insignificant. Wow. That's what it all boils down to. Uh, what I've also learned um, in working with hundreds of people is that for clients is that most of their fears root from some type of trauma that occurred during their adolescence, during their childhood. And it's Mm. those, it's those immature uh, defensive, emotionally defensive perspectives that we adapt as adolescents, that we learn to accept as it to be, and we carry with us that perception up until our adulthood. And so that's why, this is why you can see many individuals who you can be mature. You can be successful. You can be, you know, on top of your A game in your career, whatever. Um, but still carry a perspective in one area uh, of a of a child. You know. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what it's all boiling down to insignificance. Uh, this is why people are reacting, blowing up things, up committing suicide, shooting things. It's they want to be. They want to be seen. You know, they want their existence to be uh, uh, validified. You know. And when those things are not happening, this
0: is total chaos and disruption. It's gonna be disruption for everyone if I so can't do what I want. Interrupt with a question about, just to go dig, a little deeper on that. What what do, how, how do you see fear manifest in black men? What does that look like um, in the that's black a, men? That that's, you-
2: that's a great question.
0: Uh, so
2: usually when it comes to black men, it's, it's rooted in, a lot of it is the fear of not being good enough, time and time and again, it's always, it's usually he, he doesn't even, and it shows this way in how he feels about his money, and how he feels about his body, and how the way he feels about his, uh, uh, his ability to love, his emotional capacity, it's always shown up in in a very a, a, a few very ways of just, hmm. just not feeling like he's he's good enough, and so what happens is you have a lot of black men who. You know, they avoid relationships, they avoid commitment, or they even become, you know, uh, they become anti-relationships. Or just, I you know, they, that. Just, they, <laughs> they don't really give their fullest because, again, they don't feel that like they're good enough to be with in the first place because of this one area of their life that they fear that they're lacking in. So that's what I'm saying when it comes to
0: black people. You know, and this Especially is- Especially if, if you short. If, and so this is the body thing that you're talking about, you know, that the, the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I mean, and, and that's something that we don't think about as women a lot in terms of how men feel about their bodies. I think this is the first time I've heard anybody verbalize that before. So that's that's interesting. Um, yeah. Men
2: are very so, so, uh, subconscious about how they look. It's just that, you know, we know a lot of the time we can mask it with our wallet. So we try to use our wallet, but when you can't mask it with your wallet, that's so why you see a lot of these ugly dudes. Who are usually the ones that's really that really hates women or are against women because you know they like I don't have nothing to compensate with my lack of looks. So you know i just <laughs> I'm gonna lash out at
0: the world. See, and you know, I've always wanted to do a show on that, except I don't want to give it too much attention, you know, because, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, it, it is a real issue. I, there is a whole movement of men who have decided they're not going to be engaged in a relationship, involved in a relationship ever, 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 ever with anybody. So it's, it's, it's interesting.
2: Um, and I just, I just want to say this one thing. And have you noticed when they do, when they don't engage, they also don't
0: want other people to engage in relationships? Right. It's a movement. Yeah. It can't just be them. It's a whole movement. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to give you each an opportunity as we're getting close to the end of the hour here. I want to give you each an opportunity to, um, you know, just kind of share what it is you're doing and how people can get involved with what you're doing, how they can reach you. Um, so we'll start with Sean.
1: Oh, uh, yes. Uh, what I'm doing right now, you know, uh, as you mentioned, I am in school uh, getting my second master's degree in mental health counseling. Uh, through Wake Forest University online program, I also am interning as a substance abuse counselor um, downtown Atlanta um, to be able to to be able to become eligible to get my LPC, my counseling license. Um, also, I'm a children's book author. I have two books out. Actually, the, my first book, together we make a family, sold it out last week. Wow! Um, actually, I didn't anticipate people ordering it. When my second book came out, um, if you type my name in uh, Amazon, both books come up. So I guess people were grabbing both of them to get that yep. free shipping. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, my second book, uh, the day my dad turned invisible, that is still available on Amazon. Um, so if you if you if you have a child, uh, check it out. If not, I still feel like it's a great pickup. Um, and I got one more book on the way, so I'm always working. I also have a, a color book, a coloring book I'm working on um, that relates to the Black family as well.
0: So tell, in, with the latest book, that is, is it out now or is it for pre-order? It's, it's out now, no, it's right?
1: out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. it's out. It's available on Amazon um,
0: okay.
1: and cool. they can get shit right to you.
0: So question, what is the most important message you want children to get out of that last book about um, losing a parent or a loved one?
1: uh well the, the message basically is the message that i shared that what i learned um was you know just the understanding of what death really means and i turned i turned the i my my model is to turn tragedy into triumph mm-hmm. um, that's my model for both books um based on the experience and basically what with the tragedy of trying is with that second book with my father passing away is I, I use the fact that he's watching me and everything I do. So based on the decisions I make, I imagine him being right there watching me make those wow. decisions.
0: I love it. That's gotta be a motivator. I love that. All right, thank you. And then, so D'Amico, um can you give us uh, you know just kind of what you're up to, what you're doing and how people can get involved and reach you?
2: Yes, yeah, 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 sure. Uh, um, I'm def- Sean, I'm definitely going to support one of your books, bro. I, I think that's what you're doing is beautiful and, and definitely needed in our community. Um, so what you can do is you can go on YouTube and look at, uh, uh, search for my podcast, uh, Black Men and Cigars. I do it with my best friend, Mark. It's intellectual conversation, but just really raw. Um, <laughs> uh, so I have that. Uh, I'm not doing, I'm not taking on any uh, clients right now at the moment. Um, but uh, you can always follow me on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Facebook D'Amico's Chambers or Instagram Fearless Black Men. Um, I, I'm also a writer for ConsciousBlackMen.com. Uh, if you want to check out some of my articles there, and uh, I also have a, a group called uh, um, Black Engineer, Black Black en- no, Black Cloud Engineers, excuse me. Um, it's my private Facebook group, and what I basically do is I help uh, blacks transition out of careers at the end into uh, lucrative-paying uh, cloud careers and. In- Um, We're partnering with a company now that's actually going to provide the actual training and career guidance for you to get those lucrative cloud engineering careers that require no uh, college education, uh, even though uh, high school education. Um, But uh, that and then um, also I want to give a big shout out to Gary Davis, like I always do, who has Boys Up uh, Next Level uh, Boys Academy. They have a nonprofit where they basically help a lot of black youth um, around the country, but mostly in the South uh you know turn their lives around i mean he's helping black men black young men boys from ages 14 the oldest i've seen this 24 you know become entrepreneurs you know build businesses get jobs tennis shoes sneakers cell phone bills paid etc this is not a presentation boring program he does a zoom every saturday it always fills up um that i don't go to church but i do tie to his program every week and um so so yeah check him out the next level up boys academy gary davis but, Ooh, uh, yeah. That. Oh, and go get my book on Amazon. The other side of fear. I keep forgetting to promote my. You should have said that first. No, no, that's. <laughs> cool. I know, right? You know. Man, oh yeah, right. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't muted.
0: No, no, yeah. <laughs> so I have one more question, Domingos, and you have thirty seconds, twenty-five seconds, ten seconds to answer. So I know that your page. What I appreciate about your page is that you're talking to black men but you don't silence the black women. You allow us to engage as well. Um, I, who is your page for? And, you know, and what do you hope that we'll get out of it by following?
2: Uh, that's a, that's a great question. My page is for, uh, is for black men, who, ambitious black men who are just looking for guidance, you know, and women are all black women, especially always welcome to the conversation. Anybody's welcome yeah. to the conversation, no matter your education level, or career level, you know, but it's specifically my post is specifically catered to ambitious black men who are just looking for life
0: guidance love it alright alright you might find yourself a mate there on his page y'all so go ahead and-, <laughs> <laughs> and, some there. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely check out Sean's books on Amazon as well as D'Amico's book on Amazon thank you gentlemen so much this has been wonderful um, so we are going to go to a break and then when we come back we will have our next guest um, um, on uh, <laughs> <Andrew. laughs> and uh, we'll be back all right, uh, welcome to the second hour of the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and uh, good afternoon for those of us who are on the East Coast. Um, we are, again, compelling uh, or engaging ourselves in some compelling dialogue around um, you know, humanity and, and making change in life and making a difference in life. And so I'm Dr. Pamela, and on today's show for the second hour, we are going to have Anthony and Jason Henderson join us to Discuss um, their family and um, and some of the challenges and and victories that they have experienced over the last twenty years. Um, so I am really excited about this because there are so many um, you know different um dynamics around the black family. There are so many different faces of the black family, so many different structures of the black family. And so um just knowing the ways in which we are challenged in society, as we discussed on the last hour with with Demikos Chambers and Sean Simmons, um, there are factors that in fact you know, impact us as a community. And so it's really important that um, we recognize those things, but that we also build strategies. I'm really huge on strategy building. How do we build strategies to overcome what these barriers are, and what these challenges are? This is not something that we, um, you, you know, just fall into. Um, people who are who are most successful and and who have the strongest families and have the greatest um, experiences in their careers, even and in their relationships, they strategize around it. And so that is what I want us to be able to do today. Um, so I am going to. Are we bringing the guests on right now? Or are we going to a break first? I'm, I'm, I'm I'm gonna make sure that I'm... Okay, we can bring them on now. Okay, all right, yes. Okay, so let's bring our guests on now. I'm gonna introduce um, our guests. Now, Anthony and Jason were contacted after they appeared in the Love Has No Labels viral campaign, which was shot over Valentine's Day weekend and has racked up a whopping 43 million views on Upworthy and over 59 million views on YouTube to date. And has been featured in every major media platform including CNN, Good Morning America, and E! News. They have adopted three children, Marcelino and Jaden, they're 10 years old, and little Princess Jayla who is eight years old. Now Anthony is a celebrity fashion stylist and Jason is an LGBT um, advocate for over 25 years and he also works at Emory University in their infectious disease department. He was born and raised in a suburb outside of Philadelphia. About five years into their relationship, they decided to start a family together, and three years later began the adoption process. In May 2014, they bought their first. They brought home their first child, Marcelino Anthony Henderson Strong, and then came two more. The family now calls ATL home, where they reside with their children. So, welcome, Anthony and Jay. Hey,
3: hello. How are you?
0: I'm great. How are you?
4: Good, good, good. How are you?
0: Good. Good. It's it's great to finally meet you, Jason. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's been a long I, have, time.
0: I have met your husband, but I have not met you. <laughs> I'm
4: I'm I'm the the super busy crazy one. Two you jobs are? in school and yeah.
0: I thought he was busy. <laughs> yeah,
4: I am I'm insanely busy, but it was a pleasure to meet you.
0: Yes, yes. It's nice to meet you too. Thank you and congratulations on adopting your three beautiful children. I, I've seen the journey, so I know you know that it's not oh, been always you. easy, but you made it. Thank you. So we're we're gonna go to a break. Um and then when we come back, I would love to delve into your story. We're definitely gonna play some of the this this amazing viral video. Um and so um yeah, so we'll be back. Stay with us. Oh. <laughs> All right, I love that video. <laughs> so I, I would love to hear the story. Um, you know, so there's a actually there's so many different chapters to your story. So I, I guess I have to. It should be specific because even the wedding with Macy's was like ah. So, <laughs> so maybe we can start there. But I also want to go from there to this this journey of adoption. But if you could just share this the the wedding and and macy's and how all that came to
1: be
3: well um jason and i um have been together for 15 years and um coming up to our 10th year anniversary we decided um to get married um because we was thinking about adoption and um all that comes with it um so we were planning our um our wedding on our 10th year anniversary. And then we got a call from a good friend of mine who knew another friend who was in dire need of a couple to get married um, at an expo that uh, Macy's was doing for the LGBTQ community. Um, So we just said, hey, We'll put it all in Macy's hand. And it was a fabulous experience yeah. to get married in front of um, several of our family and friends. But more importantly, um, almost like the world. It was so many people there um, for their expo. Um, so it was a, it was a great uh, pleasure and experience. And as with our family, the Henderson Strong family, everything is always spared a moment, a surprise and a blessing. <laughs> and more <laughs>
0: importantly,
4: they paid for everything. They
3: paid for
0: everything. Nice. nice. I love it. <laughs> now, that's a blessing right there. I love it. So, um, and and so with that, so you get married. This was how many years ago? You said five. Five,
3: yeah, five years ago. 2015.
0: Okay. Yep. Okay. So in the intro, I put you guys together for 20 years. So you know, I you know, I, it, I, I it's 15. Always, I, I <laughs> like Close for five, enough. Right? Close yeah. enough. <laughs> <laughs> um So, what at what point did you really start getting active and engaged with the whole adoption process?
4: so that would have been actually in about 2013 2012
0: okay okay um
4: i i knew and i like i said in the in that uh video i knew i was always going to have children always it was never a doubt and um we were in la and Alec Mappa. at the time when I worked in LA, I worked at the LA LGBT Center and we have an arts program and Alec Mappa came and did his one man comedy show called Baby Daddy. And it was about the adoption journey. And I came home from was like, oh, okay, that's a sign it's time.
0: And so I came
4: home and I told him like, look, this is what I want to do. Um, I've told you this is what I want to do. I need you to either be on board, or I need to go my way, r- r- so I can start <laughs> my stuff. Sure.
1: Did.
4: <laughs> like, it wasn't going to be, you know. I don't even. If you don't want to be a dad, that's fine. But I need to leave now, so I can go ahead and do what I need to do.
0: Yeah. And, yeah.
4: Um, so he was like, "No, of course." And so we went through. Um, a t- it was a first. You go through an orientation, and then it was twenty four hours. Um, Four week, eight hour a day class. Wait, no, that's oh, it was more than for thirty two hours. Yes, okay. And um, it's a class. So every Saturday we had to do an eight hour class, and um for a month. And once you do that, then they come out to your home, um, and they with a fine tooth comb because I and specifically we had to move. Because our apartment, we had a one bedroom. That's all we needed. Oh. Um, but they were, you know, once you start that process, it was like, oh, okay, now we have to find a bigger place. Well, in LA at the time, going from a one Ooh. to two bedroom could be added an extra thousand to twelve hundred dollars oh, yeah. to your I'm your rent.
0: California, I, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah
4: so, <laughs> and it was insane. So we luckily found a really, really um, great apartment um, that was a lot bigger and not far from where we had currently lived, And um, so they came out with a fine tooth comb and they do an inspection to make sure that everything is good and everything is in place. And they signed, I think they they came out and they do an interview. They do an interview with me by myself. They do one with Anthony by himself and then they do one with us together together, um, to make sure that everything that is said lines up. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't know what questions they're going to ask. Um, but the thing is to make sure that you're not trying to put on a show or lying about certain things. So they have ways of weaving of questions to make sure that everybody's answers all line up. And so um, I think we had just finished our last interview and they were going to come and do the final home inspection on a Monday. And we did our last interview on Thursday and it was Friday. I was sitting in a staff meeting and my phone would not stop ringing. And um, I called... Um, Anthony happened to be in the hospital because he cut his leg. And um, I answered the phone and the manager said, we have a child. We want to know if you would really be interested in. And it is um, emergency. We have to kind of get this ball rolling now. And I was like, well, we haven't been signed off yet. We still have to do one more thing. She was like, don't worry about that. I'm going to send you a picture. I just need to know if you're going to be interested and oh, they, you know, um sure. and I was leaving work and on my way to the hospital to go meet Anthony, and he was in the ER room. He was in the um, oh like in, you know they got the little room for you to sit in the in the bed, and so I walked into the curtain, and the pictures had came across our phones at the same time. And ah. as I was walking in the room, I had turned my phone like this, and he was doing the same thing. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. "This is who they want to go." With. And he said, he said, "Go get." He said, child. "Go get my child." My child. I looked Marcy, right you know, at the picture.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. He, looked yeah.
4: At, he like, said, like literally, I walked in, he said, go get my child. And I, I walked <laughs> back out into the lobby and I called her and I said, yes, we'll do this. Just from uh, the picture.
3: Absolutely. Just from the picture. I, mean, I didn't need to know anything about him his name or anything. I looked at the picture and said, This is my child. Yes. Um, but it was it was a great process. Um one thing I remember about it is sitting in all those classes, I think mm-hmm. that everybody who gives birth should sit in those classes because we got yes. the book knowledge and now we have the hands on experience knowledge. And it helps. It really does.
0: Wow. Wow, uh, that's, that's huge. So so I have a couple of questions for you. We're going to go on a break when we come back, um, I because I, I need to ask some questions about this process. When you said they make you go through classes, they ask you all these questions, um, and yet people who are not fit still get to adopt children. What's that about? So when we come back, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. <laughs> Stay with us. All right, welcome back. So I'm I'm glad she didn't play too much of that because I was gonna be messed up. <laughs>
3: As most people,
0: yeah, I, I, I cannot get through that video without getting teary. I mean, I just watched it again this morning. I'm like, what is wrong with me? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, w- I would love just since we showed it and there was Marcelino when he was young he was six right
4: no he four, was four, four.
0: Four? Oh my gosh wow so, he, he was
4: four he was he would be he's been five later that year
0: okay got it got it so so there's the beloved son um first son and he um so I'm curious to know how you all came to the video since we showed it I want to I want to hear that story too
4: so, um, well, working in L.A., everybody knows somebody in the industry. Yes. <laughs> um, everyone. So I was a manager for the company I was working with. And believe it or not, I think it was maybe like five or six people on my team were like active actors. Like, okay. I mean, would, would have to take off of work to go film real jobs. Um, so one of my staff members said, oh, my agent just contacted me and asked me if we knew anyone Um, that was in a same-sex relationship and and or has a child. Um, And I said, okay, for what? He's like, for this commercial. So he was like, I'm going to send you the information. Just submit um, pictures of your family and a brief bio about yourself. And I said, okay. So I emailed them over. And um, a casting agent in Santa Monica called us and was like, can you come in for um, a screen test? And I said, oh, for an audition first. And I said, sure. And then we got called back for a screen test, um, which we did that with the director. And then the final time we came back, we had to do it with the casting agent, the director, and like a bunch of producers. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, like a, re- like a real audition kind it of was, thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, like It's just you in a room of like 17 people watching you. And I was just like, oh, this is weird. Yes. Um, yeah. But we did that. And um, and then they would, of course, they wanted to talk to Marcel um, just to kind of see what his energy is going to be and all of that. And yeah. um, we waited outside and they came out and said, oh, my God, we, everyone loves your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to uh, bring you guys on to the project.
3: I love yeah. it. It, w- it was a great experience. At first we was, I was kind of like taken back and like, ah, uh, I don't know, we don't fit the LA mold far as in um, our looks and our body type. Um, but they wasn't going, yeah, we didn't have the six pack, you know, um, but they wasn't going for that. They really wanted okay. a, a family that loved one another. And um, yeah. I think I asked one of the um, the producers, I said, so we got it, they said, yeah, I said, they said, we love your son. Like So our son was our our, our, <laughs> our go-to. So, um, yeah, And they yeah. really treated us so well because even after we got the gig, we didn't know how big it was going to be, yeah. the impact of it, um, yeah. how financially a blessing it was going to be. We just were like, okay, we're gay. We want to show our love and our family. And so we was just doing it. It actually was a PSA at first. So it was like, oh, right. this won't but go down Right. right for the ad council. it won't go far. Um, and so we, we got to set and we just started noticing how professional it was. Matter of fact, the day before, and as everybody knows, I'm a wardrobe stylist, I'm a celebrity wardrobe stylist. And I, we, we, we it was like we have to go do a wardrobe fitting. I'm like, a fitting? I thought we could bring our own clothes, and so we went to do the fitting, and then Marcel became the highlight, so he had. Um, a teacher. They brought a teacher for all the s- days we were on set. He had his own teacher, and it was just like, wow, they treated us so wow. well. We
4: had to, we had to get, um, we had to open up a Coogan account, which is an act, a uh, child actor's bank account, um, because wow. under under law, you have to deposit a certain amount into the child's account that cannot be touched until the child turns eighteen. We had to go get working, like it was so much stuff that we had to like we didn't even think about that we had to put in (laughs) the overdrive to make sure that we were eligible to complete the project.
3: And I tell this story all the time. They treated us so well um, that I they they even adapted to my schedule. I told them I said, "Look, we were shooting twelve hour days." I said, "Look, I have to get on a plane. I have to go to work. Um, I'm doing some work in Philadelphia as a wardrobe stylist." And so they were able to uh, work with my schedule, get me car service to the airport, um, and we did a quick photo shoot that lasted about 15 minutes before I got in the car to go to the airport. And this <laughs> photo shoot only took 15 minutes, it turned out to be a major campaign for far as in print work for our family. And we just wow. took the photo, in, I believe in... A, um, what was it? it was an alleyway. Like an alleyway, and he said, "We just need some photos of your family." I said, "Okay, sure." We didn't sign any papers or anything. And <laughs> the next thing I knew, the, the ads are everywhere in Africa and all over the place. And wow. so it just was a pretty great experience, and it just kept well, going I don't know and if going. They were in Africa. Well, we did interviews and things. <laughs> I that. Bet though, I wouldn't doubt it. a yeah. pretty um,
0: huge. Campaign. It I is know. still
3: going to this yeah, day. And it's
0: still going, and you know, and they picked the right song. I mean, it, it, there was just the, everything about it was just art. It was, it was a work of art. It was amazing. Yeah.
4: And to um, this day, it is the only PSA that has ever won an Emmy.
0: What?
4: It a commercial. Yeah.
0: That is amazing. And it was well-deserved. Absolutely. And then you get to be a part of it. That's, that's amazing. I appreciate that. So question, I noticed that both of your names have Anthony in it. Is that, is that accurate? Jay, Anthony, and and Anthony? All our boys, all the the Every,
4: every, all the boys' names. And that was, that was not by design. That was, I mean, it was the luck of the draw.
0: That is the name. Oh, wow.
4: My middle name is Anthony. Mine is Anthony. Here's Anthony Marcel and Jaden's middle names are Anthony. That's oh, what they were. That yeah.
0: is amazing. That is that. Wow. <laughs> so okay. So I have a question. As you're talking about this process of of adoption, and you're saying that you had to go through all these things. Well, you know, recently uh, during the Republican National Convention. Um, Abby Johnson, she is a former Planned Parenthood worker who turned uh, anti-abortion activist. And she talked about how um, her adopted son, she posted a video, she's not black, and she she adopted a black son. And she said that it would be smart for police officers to racially profile her adopted black son because statistically, he's more likely to commit crimes and violent crimes than her white adopted sons. This is what I mean when I say, what kind of screening process did wow. she go through? And I'm, I'm just curious to know um, your thoughts on, on on something like that, in, in knowing that Black children are being adopted into families. Now, I don't want to say that that's common or pervasive, because I, I don't know. But I know that what she said was quite disturbing.
4: Well, you know what? Um, so, several thoughts. Um, she's trash anyway, but so I can leave it at that. But, <laughs> so... The thing about adoption is they don't go into political views. They don't. Now, they do ask about if you're open and willing to accepting children of different races. Um, well, we actually said no. We said um, I would do, we would do Black and or biracial, and that was it. And that's because there's such a need for homes for Black children.
0: Right. Um, this is why this concerns me. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That
4: the, the thing I'm not shocked about that because I was watching a documentary. Um it was about black Republicans. That's what it was on. And they followed um this one girl in Texas and she was a black Republican. Um, but her, she was adopted into a white family, and they followed her through the course of the day. And she went on this gun shooting, duck hunting expedition. The only black person out there, and the guy who she was with was a big Republican senator who actually ended up getting in trouble behind a lot of racial comments. Mm. But almost, um, and that was just recently. But she was used as a prop, yeah. um, you know, to say how all things are good. So I'm, I'm not really fond of that because there's a lot of in stuff put into your to your head so so subconsciously.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and and I I would love to to delve into that a little bit more, but we have to go on a break. So uh, when we come back, um, we're we're I, I just kind of want to dissect that a little yeah. bit. So so stay with us. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I am joined today by Anthony Henderson and Jason Henderson, and they are Jay Henderson. <laughs> and, uh, and we're really talking about their experience through, um, you know, adoption and, and just building their family. Um, one of the things that we were talking about during the, or before the break, was really this idea of, um, you know, when Black children are adopted, um, particularly by families that are not Black, how does that impact them? I noticed in your video, you said that your, your children are... Um, they're wanted you know so it's it's a it's a different it's a powerful experience to be somebody that was wanted and chosen and brought into your family um from the standpoint of of children who are in homes what what worries me the most about adoption um is the end result where are these children being placed and and you know how are they being protected there's just so many horror stories so I know you were talking a little bit about just kind of what's happening um, with regards to you know this woman who said you know her son is more likely to be profiled than the other two sons I fear for that son of hers
4: yeah she's um she's his she's already instilled an inferiority complex into him not knowing um I think it's sad um, unfortunately I mean because there's ways I I can't even say I understand what she's saying. Um, I kind of get the point she's trying to make. However, I think that policing is not supposed to be done um, proactively; it's supposed to be reactive. And she's well, making the
0: statistics are wrong.
4: Yeah, well, and that, and that's true. Because I mean, if, if that's the case, I guess we should start locking locking up um, a bunch of upper upper middle class and upper class white children. Um, now because they're going to go ahead and start embezzling money earlier
0: right exactly you know I- <laughs> yeah 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 so you know and and you I think Jay Anthony um, is your we saw in your bio that you're an activist or an advocate I should say um, and I feel like just based on the on the the lives that the two of you are living that you're really also um, parental advocates um, in in many ways and in just in just the lives you're living. You may not be walking around with picket signs and and so forth, but I would love for you to speak to how parenting has become a work of advocacy for you.
4: Okay. So I am, I'm very hard on my children um, because at the end of the day, I need them to be able to come home. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, we were doing a, um, we did an interview the other day and um they were asking us kind of like how we parent, how we parent and i i say i parent from the point of risk reduction mm. um and that's a term that we use in and in public health um your job is to reduce the risk and as a parent my job yeah. is to reduce the risk that something happens to my child when they're not when they're not around us so mm-hmm. um should they be able to do everything that all other kids are able to do? Absolutely. Is that the reality of 2020 in the United States? No, so unfortunately, uh, when my son is cold, I have to tell him you cannot walk around with a hoodie on, I mean, with your hood on your head. Get get a hat and and that's, that's what you have to do. And you can have a jacket, but you're not gonna have your hood up on your head walking around. Cause I don't need extra eyes on you for whatever reason. Um, our kids deal with certain things differently. My kid, um, you know, my my middle son answering questions for him, if you're like being direct with him and he gets nervous, mm-hmm. he could be telling you the truth. But how he responds is not always what would, would make you think he's not telling you the truth. And right. that's because you know, he, he he's a high functioning autistic child, mm-hmm. you know, so communication plays a part with him. He doesn't communicate like other kids communicate. So he starts to get fidgety and nervous, even though he's telling the truth.
0: Yeah. And depending
4: on who he comes across, it could look weird or look bad or look like he did something. Yeah. So I have to it is my responsibility or our responsibility to train him that he has to he can't do things that every other kid does.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. We we parents hard, but we love hard. And I think it has to be a balance there. And that's some of the things we learned in our classes. That's why I think everybody who especially could have children should definitely go through these classes. So we parent hard, but we love even harder, and it has to be a balance. Um So with our kids, and we tell them, um you know, you're privileged, we're, we're blessed to have you, but w- you're privileged to have some of the things that other kids do not have. You have right. two loving fathers, and some kids who don't even have a father in their mm-hmm. life. And, um When our daughter, is so funny, I tell this story all the time, when our daughter came into our life, we, we didn't have girl We didn't have a girl. You know, we only had Marcelino, which was a boy, and then we got Jaden. But when we got our girl, I said, oh my gosh, I want to decorate her room. So we hired an interior decorator so when she walked in the room for the first time, she just looked at it and was like, this is nice because she she didn't have any feelings of love and acceptance. And this is mine and it won't be ever taken away from me. So mm-hmm. we gave her the we give her the best and we expect the best from them. So whenever we discipline them somewhere right around the corner, there will be some accolades for something that they did. Um, right. and vice versa.
0: Right. Well, I mean, and, and I love that. And one thing I didn't um, ask of you was the the journey to, to the second two children um, that, that are now in the home. So there's a total of three, two boys, a girl. Um, we're going to go to a break, but I, I have to say that I absolutely love the parenting philosophy. It sounds so thought out. Um, when you talked about your son having uh, being high-functioning autistic, and having to teach him strategies, strategies for navigating the outside world—that's huge. I think about the young man in, in in Colorado who was tragically killed by police, and he didn't communicate the same way that everybody else communicated. And and so, you know, just just the importance of that—I I just have to commend you on on that. We can only do so much, but um, it sounds like you all you're doing a lot. So, with that said, we're gonna go to another break, and uh, so stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back. I <laughs> am and I am joined by Anthony Henderson-Strong and Jay Anthony Henderson-Strong and uh, we are talking about family and the power of family structure um, and I'm loving the structure of your family. <laughs> um, question, I know that you, you talked about how you brought um, Marcelino um, into the family. Ha-ha-ha-ta- tell me about the journey for your other two children.
4: So, Marcel was getting um, lonely, <laughs> being the only oh. child, um, and so we had occasionally talked about adopting another one, <laughs> and um, <laughs> we went to, we, so we found an agency here called Families First, um, and they were really good, we've been working with them, and we went to an adoption fair, which is kind of when you go somewhere and have all the agencies have photos of all the kids that are up for adoption in the state of Georgia. And we came across um, two brothers and um, everybody liked them now. Um, and Anthony came across to me with a young boy and a young girl, sibling. And I said, I don't know. I said, that little girl looks like a doozy. Yeah, you did. I said, <laughs> she, I said she's like, she's going to be a doozy. And you said, keep them in the back pocket. And I said, like, "Put them like, in your back pocket. But yeah. I said, I like these two boys right here. I said, they already had their little bow ties on and they looked really nice. And um, that fell through because so many people wanted them. And and they were, it was, I hate to use this term, but it was almost like a bidding war. Yeah. I've always (laughs)
0: wondered about how that goes. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So like, basically what will happen is there's like a bunch of families that want this one child. It's like this weeding process of going through, well, what about this? What about that? What about the? You know, so you're like doing, picking every little line to see kind of where would the best fit be. Um, Right. So um, I had, we had never discussed the, the the brother and the sister again. And one day, a social worker called and said, hey, are you still thinking about the brother and sister? Which I was like, I had never been thinking about. <laughs> and so and we had looked at the picture and kind of reviewed the paperwork. And I said, well, okay. I said, now that I reviewed it, I'm not against it. And let's go ahead and move forward with it. It happened so fast. I'm like, that was June of last year. And by August, they were already living in our house. Wow. Yeah.
3: It it was a great experience. I don't know what I have with just looking at a picture and just knowing that these are my children, but it just seems to happen that way. And they came with a lot of challenges, and it's so funny because with the system and the schools that we placed them in, they were wondering like, "What are you guys doing?" Because these kids have did a 360 overnight, and they have been in the system mostly all their life. And so we would take them back to the same doctor, the therapist, etc., and they would say, "These are not the same kids." And wow. I say, well, the difference is? They're the same kids, but they don't have the same." parents or the same guardian. It's mm-hmm. us who really loves them and know yeah. what it kind of takes in this world to, to, to move forward, you know?
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> and yeah. so it, it has been a great experience. But one thing that Jason and I always talk about is the, adoptions, um, the adoption part of it is when you have to go to a place and they kind of sell you on why these these children will be good for your family. And you only know what's best for your family. Right. But when you see all the accue ac- legs and, and, and the they they try to feed you and, and show you pictures and tell you about the child. They tell you the good stuff, but they don't tell you the repercussions of the bad stuff or some of the stuff that they have been through. So you right. have to really sift through it. And it's almost like a cattle call. And I told Jason, I just we went to it a couple of times, and I just felt so bad that the, sometimes the kids are on display for as their picture, and sometimes yeah. you know and the and the kids will be there. But oh, now they have kind of worked the system to where um, they make sure that you really like these children, you understand their their whole background and then they'll let you meet them to move forward because you know you don't want to get attached on either either side. So right. it has been a great experience. Um with our cases, a lot of times people say, well don't talk about your cases because our cases in both cases have been really easy and it normally doesn't work out that way. Oh. you know it's really a tedious, rigorous process. But for right. what ours is it's really God sent and a blessing, um, and because we're very spiritual. So we we we, we analyze and we look at things and say, okay, this is it. We're going in the right direction.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, because earlier Jay said that he watched a comedian who's talking about adoption. He's like, it's, that was the sign. It's time."
3: Yeah. Yeah, he still you know? watches that video like it came out yesterday. And I <laughs> said, "Why do you watch it?" He says, "Because he just brings tears to my eyes." You know, I just you know, and insane. now we watch their son grow up on TV. You know, it's it's, it's just really amazing.
0: Yeah, that is amazing. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of research out there that talks about the the Um, benefits of adoption and actually specifically from same-sex couples Um, and and i just wanted to put some of that out there because i think it's really um interesting and i think a lot of us don't know that i think a lot of times when um heterosexual people in general think about adoption they think things like and i'm sure you've heard it things like oh well you're gonna raise them to be gay or you know they're you know how do you know that that's good for them they need a mother and a father you know so all of those things i'm sure you've heard but what we rarely hear are the benefits, um, you know, some of the the actual pluses um, that come with um, adopting children. So some of them here, um, many gay couples, certainly those offering themselves as adopted parents, form relationships that are more stable. This was surprising to me. I did not. I've never heard this before. But but twice here, it's mentioned that um, same-sex couples tend to have more stable relationships than heterosexual couples have have y'all heard that before
4: yes um (laughs) well and i think it's because um, i've I've heard it and i'm gonna say we can kind of attest to it we're a member of a a same-sex couple group it's like a facebook group and the average length of relationship is like 10 15 years like average you know um it's called for couples only and but like it's all just all long-term relationships wow. all long-term relationships and i think the thing is um by the time we're in a quote-unquote long-term committed relationship and i know in lgbt relationships so much stuff happens in the first six months that after you pass that six month one year mark we're like okay <laughs> Cause regular Cause stuff fast, happens yeah. that's not really bad for you know that's I guess could be like difficult maybe on, on heterosexual relationships, but by the time we hit the one-year mark, it's kind of like we've done every all of that stuff that may be considered really, really bad. And so once you make it out of that, you're like, okay, cool, what else, what else could there be? Yeah.
3: yeah. Right,
0: right. know. <laughs> Go ahead.
3: And I know you heard the joke, you know, they say when the gays move into the community, it brings up the property value. So it's just like to have two gay black fathers in your life at a time like this and in this climate um, for two African-American young boys, I think is a total blessing. And I can't remember the quote um, that one of our photographers gave us um, when we first adopted our first son, but um, I'd rather have two dads gay dads then not have any dad, you know, so it's just truly a a blessing. And I just like I said, um, with two dads, I mean, because he's big on education, you know, I come from the fashion world. And so we blend all that in together and we have a really happy, loving, healthy home. I mean, our kids, I mean, our kids are typical boys. We have to tell them to clean up their room. I mean, you know, brush your teeth. Take a bath, you know the typical
1: things.
0: <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, and I love it. And the other thing that it, that was mentioned here, which I think is also pretty, it's well, this part isn't so surprising to me, but that children are raised much more um, open minded and willing to embrace cultures and and any you know things that are not necessarily reflective of their own, you know, and yeah. that their parents are more likely to be of, accepting of them, depending on you know, whatever um, direction they want to go in life. Maybe not whatever. I mean, there's probably some limits there. Right, right. <laughs> um, but in terms of their identity, that there is there's much more acceptance that is um, attached to.
4: They're definitely exposed to more things. Um, things that are, like, appropriate. Like, it's nothing that's just, like, inappropriate. But, I yeah. mean, first of all, um, you know, if you could if you come in into my house while I'm watching TV, you are liable to see anything. Um nothing like grotesque. RuPaul's drag race. Like nothing, yeah. but like I like every like I love RuPaul's drag race. So I watch that every right. Friday. You know? Right. Um my kids have their own room, so they do whatever they want to do. Like but my my oldest son, Marcel comes down all the time while it's on and is like, What you watching RuPaul's drag race again? And I say, <laughs> Yeah. And it was one time <laughs> It was one time I was watching it and he came down and he just stared at the screen. And I said, what are you looking at? He yeah. was like, her makeup doesn't look good. <laughs> and then and then he just turned around and went back upstairs and started doing what he was doing. But um, I will say that as gay parents, I'm very cognizant of um, what we do in terms of exposure. Because we are aware that if you have two dads there, people are just, people just assume because they don't understand how, how human nature works, that they're going to be gay. You're going to make them gay. You're going to make them gay. I'm like, when I tell you, well, I had, my, my parents have been married. I'm 45. My parents have been married for 49 years. Wait, no, for, 48 years. Guess what they have a gay son. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it has nothing to do with exposure. I've been, right. I've been exposed to the best. You understand what I'm saying? So right. it's, it's not how that works.
3: It's a lot of explaining. There's right. a lot of explaining we have to do to the children about how we govern our lives from day to day and week to week and month to month. And same thing with the, you know, them going to school and talking to the teachers about yeah. they have two daddies. One is a father. One is the daddy. And get our mm-hmm. names right. Jason and Anthony, father, daddy. Um, and just saying, hey, please don't mm-hmm. bring up mother because that could be. A, a trickle effect, you know, that could be something that you know triggers them, you know, to be sad yeah. or, or misbehave. So they have two loving dads and no mother in their life. But we have a lot of females, I mean, most of our female friends, whether they aunts and aunts, they're just like they're our children. I'm like, no, they're our children, but we
4: have a lot of females. We have that, a great, we have a great village. They're, yes,
0: they're, they're covered in that area. I'm I, we're gonna go to break, but I have to ask you the difference between father and daddy. I, I, I that's
3: eye-opening for me. <laughs> well, I'm father and he's daddy. We just really sat down and just literally came up with different names. I, I like father. He likes daddy. He's I get formal. I'm very formal. And even when we was adopting our first child, you know, my mother wanted to say, that's my your grandmother. No, you're Grandma Jackie until he gets familiar. Nice. Nice.
0: Okay. All right. We're going to come back. One more break. And we will finish off the show up. All right, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and joined uh, today by Anthony Henderson-Strong. Anthony Henderson-Strong, um, fathers who are speaking on their experience in, in adopting three beautiful children. Um, so there's this whole movement, this revolution that's going on in our country right now that I'm sure you've noticed. <laughs> um, and we obviously can't delve too deeply in that conversation, but we do have... Black Lives Matter and we have all Black Lives Matter. And I'm I'm curious to know your thoughts on you know the, the two. Um, some of them for some people it's one and the same, you know, all black lives matter. We are including all black lives, but then you of course have a distinct group who are like, nah, that's not really the agenda we're trying to focus on. Um, you know, so what are your thoughts on that whole conversation?
4: So um If I can be frank, (laughs) um, I'm not 100% um, on the Black Lives Matter train. And that's because the all Black lives don't matter to the Black Lives Matter train.
1: Mm
4: -hmm. Um, You know, the Black Lives Matter movement was created by by members of the LGBT community. Right. And um, you have some that, Well, black lives only matter if it's a black man being choked out by the police, but black trans women are being killed every day across this country. And it doesn't that doesn't matter. So, you know, um, I can't stand in support right now with Black Lives Matter until all black lives matter.
0: Right. And that's why I ask that question, because there is a difference between the standpoint of the founders and when you go to the website and what Mm -hmm. they stand for. And they stand for all Black Lives Matter on their website, right. but then you've got people who have kind of taken this Black Lives Matter thing and and ran with it, and and do not reflect the values that right. the Black Lives Matter organization has have established. So, um, so I just thought it was important to to make that distinction and to point out that the organization has a very specific stated mission that includes all Black lives, um, exactly. and. and when we talk about supporting Black Lives Matter, we need to go back to see what this organization has established and and um, decide if we stand behind that. And if we don't, we shouldn't be declaring that statement.
4: But I also feel it's the responsibility of the founders to be more vocal in what they stand for. And I think in all yeah. of it, I do think that part of it is they're scared or there's some trepidation that they may lose some of the of the force mm. behind it, if they start including outside, or so um, yeah, or following. So I think okay. that they they tend to just leave that up on their mission statement and leave it there, but don't ever there. voice it, and and that I have a problem with.
0: That's interesting. That that is and of course that I didn't I didn't know. I shouldn't say of course, but no, I didn't I didn't really know that part. But I know what's on the website, and that's what I refer people to. But um, but that's an important point. You know, where's the voice? Where's the stance? Um, you know, where's the activism as it comes to standing behind what you're saying. So I appreciate your, your point of view on that. Um, so we are at the end of the show (laughs) and before we, um, close this out, I just wanted to give you any final words of wisdom that you can pass along to a parent Mm -hmm. who is wishing to adopt.
4: (laughs) Um, my, my word of wisdom would be just be prepared, have your ducks in a row um, and um, don't expect it to move swiftly.
3: Yeah. And be open minded. I think everybody should bring someone in their home, whether it's um, permanently or they, they, they just mentor. But absolutely, um, you know, break out your norm, um, mm-hmm. share your gifts, share your love, you know, share your knowledge. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's, that's huge. And, and I, I think everybody needs to take classes as you both have emphasized <laughs> um, throughout the show. Um, so I thank you so much. Is there any way in which um, if anybody wants to follow your journey, is it pretty private? Are you just kind of like, no, nah, we're not for the public uh, or ways that people can reach you if they, if you want them to.
4: Sure. Um, Dad squared 18 on Instagram is a, is a good, that's our Instagram page.
0: Awesome. Okay. Dad Square 18. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you two joining me today. This has been a long time coming. I've been wanting yes, to do yes. forever. <laughs> so I appreciate you all for making it happen. Thank you for um, having us yes yes thank you and um so just thank you all for joining in to the live exchange we're here every thursday from 11 to 1 um, to have compelling conversation about life and change and all things uh, transformation so um remember it's it's up to us to right the wrongs to speak the truth to rise above and to stand for change yes have an awesome week (laughs)